Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris. And I am here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we are reviewing a movie available now on HBO Max from 2018, Ready Player One. The granddaddy of all meta movies. Um, granddaddy of all meta movies. So have you heard of this, the, the metaverse? <laughs> Web 3, layer 2, blockchain. I have nightmares about this stuff. Yeah. Is it weird that I consider this movie far less dorky than Dune? <laughs> Dune is just not your sensibility. Maybe it's because Dune takes itself so seriously. It really does. But Ready Player One doesn't? I mean, it takes it as seriously as it can, but it's so chocked full of pop culture and, and little inside things and, and obscure stuff that it's meant to be fun. Ready Player One, the book and the movie are super meta, especially given the fact that Steven Spielberg is directing a movie which features a lot of Steven Spielberg properties in it. But I don't, I don't care. It's going to be the most surface of discussions in that the metaverse doesn't really interest me all that much or trying to figure it out. Because I watched Ready Player One this morning and trying to really figure it out for something so light and fluffy and meant to be fun and with like Van Halen's soundtrack, I don't know is worth a lot of my time. I also watched a video where it was like every Easter egg in Ready Player One and this thing went off the rails. It said dozens and dozens of what like Alf is in there and stuff and this and that and I'm telling it like stuff that you never I've watched this movie a bunch of times and if I, I, I seriously think they were messing around what was the most obscure Easter egg? Well, obscure is a relative thing because there's some ridiculously obscure stuff in Ready Player One, but it was more like really popular properties that were in supposedly in Ready Player One. Most of the Avengers are supposedly in there. Thanos is in there, all this stuff. And I was like, no, they weren't. But then again, there are so many fleeting shots at 24 frames per second. You would never catch all of them in a wide panning shot of a massive battle. I mean, if you're paying for a Marvel license, don't you want that to have some screen time? I would think so. Uh, but additionally, Disney owns Marvel and Disney now owns Star Wars. And Steven Spielberg, there was a fleeting mention of the Millennium Falcon, but really no Star Wars stuff at all. So why would you be able to secure all the Marvel without the Star Wars? Yeah, they're too busy exploiting that in their movies. Yeah. But I mean, to labor over everything that appeared... It's like a Chipotle burrito. It's packed so tight that it just barely holds it all together. Mmm, cilantro rice. Yeah. Are you a pinto or a black bean kind of a guy? Uh, black beans. That's my man. But there's a distinction, too, because my fiancé is all about the refried beans. Refried Ew. beans are life. Not much interest in pintos. And when she gets beans, she gets black beans from Chipotle specifically. Oh. She actually turned me around on refried beans. I was like, if you have room, you put meat in your stomach. Beans are just a filler. Beans are a cheap meat substitute. It's like if you go to Fogo and you're like, I'm going to hit that salad bar. It's like, what are you doing? 
And by fogo, you mean fogo de chao. Yep. But refried beans aren't that great on their own. I mean, when, when they're like baked into a plate with some melty cheese, like making your little salad all hot, like you don't really want to eat those by themselves. Like how do you eat refried beans other than with tortilla chips? Exactly. With tortilla chips. Don't get me wrong. I don't love refried beans. She turned around my utter disdain. So now you just think they're okay. Yeah. Okay. Now that we're down this road, I have to know what salsa. Uh, for me personally, I get the corn salsa and the tomatillo medium. I have so much uh, of the pico that I don't bother anymore. And the hot is just yeah. unnecessary. No, I like the hot, but you have to mix your salsa, be it hot or mild, with the corn salsa. You can't yeah. skip on the corn salsa. Corn salsa is awesome. We love Chipotle. Please sponsor us. <laughs> and now they're inextricably tied. Chipotle and Ready Player One. You had mentioned there's no one who could have directed Re Ready Player One other than Steven Spielberg. I think his clout is far ranging enough to where he could ask for a thing and almost anyone would try to assist Steven Spielberg in collecting some of these properties. I mean, his team went far and wide to get as many as they could. They just threw everything at this movie and some of them so, so obscure that they don't even register. Like subconsciously, you just get that this is what the, the metaverse could truly look like if it were constructed by people with ranges of pop culture knowledge. Right. And for whimsy and stuff, I'm not saying that Steven Spielberg was the best director for the job. I'm saying logistically, maybe he's the only captain who could have made this thing float. Who could have gotten it out of the port? Because I don't know if it floats, but we'll get there. But that also leads me to my other overarching point about this movie, and that is when Wade says we're in a place where... The limit to where our reality is our imagination. Uh -huh. But really, the chiasmus of that is true, which is the limit to our imagination is our reality because this is populated by pop culture and things that we have made manifest in various, you know, creations, outpouring of other people's imagination into pop culture. I mean, you can choose your avatar, but is the Oasis user generated? Because every video game going today has an entire team a world building team it takes them years to do that and even like little basic apps have entire teams and constant ios updates and all this stuff like somebody's got to be actively running the oasis gregarious games does it exist in some form so i uh, just like support wise it would have to be user generated which opens up all kinds of questions about what you can and can't do and abuse and all this stuff and how people could cheat not just like forming clans or whatever but actually hacking trying to get into this stuff so i wonder about that there are currently user generated games that have their own economies but it is to your point all within the governance of the company or privileges and authority that the company grants to the users. So we have demarcations, and I think maybe it was kind of on purpose. The movie gets a couple of things wrong. Uh, number one, the Oasis is almost exclusively this entirely CG, colorful, slightly cartoony world. And that may be, practically speaking, the limitations of video games, because they don't have the budgets of movie actually some of them do but they make far more money sometimes but still everything in the oasis looks like the best of 2018 cg and in that respect i'm a little bit worried that this movie is going to really badly age it's going to look like the lawnmower man in, a, in about 20 years running man and that was to differentiate it from the real world inside the movie of the stacks and ohio and wade and what's her nuts artemis 
All right. Well, what was her name? Uh, Sam. No, Samantha. Yeah. And that was good because Ty Sheridan doesn't look like Parzival. He's not the conventional handsome movie star type. And while Olivia Cook is lovely, they both look like real people. You know what I mean? If this were made by a not Spielberg or if this was more of a, like a Maze Runner or a Hunger Games bullshit, they would be much better looking. I can agree with you on Ty Sheridan. He's an unconventional leading man, but has a, I think it has a good balance of dorkiness and presence. Uh, I don't know that I'd agree with you about Olivia Cook, though. Well, I'm not saying she's not good looking. I'm saying that she was dressed down and poor and sweater wearing. You know, she just looked like a real person. I actually find both of their avatars a little bit distasteful looking. Maybe I can't tell if it's an uncanny valley thing or if it's just trying to make them look cool and her like a porcupine for some reason. And then... yeah, she looks <laughs> she looks a little harsh. And I think that they're going for badass, but she ended up looking a little harsh. Yeah, she's more alien for sure. And he's kind of more anime. Some bad cyberpunk skin or something. And they also had to be non-branded characters. They couldn't be Batman on the mountain. They had to be entirely original, with the exception that they would ride the bike from Akira, and he would dress like Buckaroo Banzai, and wear Han Solo's belt and that kind of stuff. Um, I think they, you know, they fit in, I guess, fine with the totally digital world. Um, I kind of like them better running around in the real world, but that's just me. There's no way that this challenge to find Halliday's Easter egg is as easy as it is. I mean, they don't give any respect to gamer culture or to pop culturists. So I figure there's almost 8 billion people in 2021. And in the 2040s, when Wade is bouncing around, he's the only dude who figures out, I think we should put the pedal to the metal. Let's go backwards fast as we can. Bill and Ted did it and nobody but him gets it. Online culture and fandom builds and builds and builds on top of itself like a rickety framework, like stacks in the Ohio suburbs. And everybody knows everything, right? And you just build on that information. You know, there's something to hiding in plain sight. I mean, it has and it has to be simplified for our protagonist and for the audience to track it. Like there's no movie, there's no drama and people just sifting through the archives for eight for years and years trying to figure this stuff out like the inciting incident is this first discovery in the race. Yeah, I'm going to argue that it has to be simplified for widest audience possible and kind of for dum-dums. Like, I get that it's a hearing and seeing senses driven experience and that other than eating and sleeping and and bathroom breaks, you know, you spend your time in the metaverse and so you want to, you want to also be able to feel. And these haptic suits are very desirable because they bring the, the sense of feel and touch to the metaverse. But when you're in like a really dangerous situation, like hand-to-hand combat in the metaverse, wouldn't it behoove you to just not wear the haptic suit so that if you get kicked in the nuts by Parzival, you don't feel it? Well, obviously, uh, Screen Rant went on a pretty long Screen Rant and uh, said that pain would be a massive disadvantage. But then again, I'm not entirely sure how it works because they had the treadmills for the moderately immersive experience. And then they had the full Sorrento, like deluxe chairs and junk. 
And then yeah. they had the people who were just running on the streets. And as we saw in the opening montage, people were jumping on their couches and running around within their apartments and stuff. But do you have to run real distances across long battlefields and planet doom and jump accordingly? Yeah, if you didn't have a suit at all and just had a mask and gloves, would you just mime the arm movements with your arms and your with your hands and that makes your feet move? Like, I don't know how it works. <laughs> Yeah, not everyone has an omnidirectional treadmill right? in their stack trailer. It also didn't explain how Sorrento uses the running properties and all that stuff in his chair. Like, is he like a dog and he's dreaming about running and his little his feet are just moving slightly and the chair registers the movements? Talk about a meta thing where you'd be like, so do you even like this movie? Because there's no end to what we can pick apart for this movie. So many directions true, to go. But- it's really easy to get caught up in the world. And one of the ways, I think, one of the simpler ways to really track this film and to judge it, if that's what we're here to do, is to talk about how, if it works as a film and how it works structurally. I really enjoyed this film. I, I enjoyed re-watching this film much more than I remember having enjoyed it the first time around. But I think where it really falls apart for me is structurally, especially around the time when... Sam is like sneaking around Sorrento's office uh-huh. and this the ridiculous, ridiculous plant of Sorrento's password in his haptic chair on, on or whatever. His sticky note, yeah. Oh my god. Like structurally it starts to get really cheesy. I mean, I guess that there had to be the moment where they trick him and Oasis and it mimics reality. Except the fact that most of the Oasis in no way resembles reality. Or it can't pass for reality. It resembles it for sure, but that the fact that he would be totally fooled there was something that i saw wade's face when they're holding the guns presumably on sorrento which is actually in the oasis that there's a glitch in his face that's telling they purposefully added a glitch to his face so that if nolan were paying a close attention at that point he might have caught on oh interesting except when you think that you're in the real world you probably will make some kind of mental justification for things that don't seem right yeah maybe lights or something brains do our brain does that all the time it filters out inconsistencies and smooth stuff over right that's very matrixy you know that right now you can see your nose with both eyes but your brain has learned to filter it out what that's not true close each eye and see how much of your vision is obscured by your nose I just thought I had like a, you know, very well-placed proportional nose. But you say that you think it doesn't, what what were you saying, that it doesn't represent reality, the Oasis? It's cartoony enough so that only in that moment when they're tricking Sorrento could the the Oasis pass as actual reality. Because everything else, you think about the distracted globe and none of it looks real. It all looks like CG and in fact it all, it is, it's entirely CG. And yet you say that if you went to the Overlook Hotel in the Oasis, you would be scared. Um, I don't know if I'd be scared. I would be excited because if the Overlook was real, there's no way I'd set foot in that place. That's my favorite part of the movie by far. As much as they mucked it up and there were grim grinning ghosts dancing around in the Overlook and all kinds of stuff that didn't belong and the maze and the gigantic axe and all that stuff, as dumb as it was... Uh, to, like tonally when they dropped through the floor i was like 
This is the most awesome thing I've ever seen. We discussed before that there are two parts that are the reason that I watched this movie, that I own this movie, that I came away with the halfway decent feeling about this movie, and that's the reintroduction of the DeLorean and The Shining, which wasn't a part of the book. That was a total surprise to me. And they went down, and you're just in the overlook for real. And it looks and they, so good. Yeah, but they used unused footage and like scans or something of the original sets and indeed footage from the actual Shining when they had establishing shots and stuff were recreated digitally, but the overlook is painstakingly recreated. And it's totally immersive in a movie that I love, that I feel a personal connection with, that I would assume most people feel at one point in this movie or another. This movie is like one of those lists, like the greatest movies of the 80s or whatever. And you're just like, ah, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <gasps> that movie, that's my childhood. And you're all excited. And if you're patient enough, there's something awesome in Ready Player One for you. But the idea that everybody would catch all of the references is utterly impossible. Nobody knows all of the stuff in there, right? Except for whatever people painstakingly go through this film frame by frame to, to list it all out. Yeah, but I'm not sure if it's true now with how ridiculous that last one was. But you and I lived in the 80s, and I still don't remember half of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, when they talk about that kind of those really obscure pop culture references or the Halliday, um, what do you call a Halliday researcher? The people who are like debating, you know, the gameplay when they finally get to that. The oologists. Yes. Which is the study of, uh, of bird eggs. AKA Easter eggs. So yeah, when they get when you get to like the oology level of trivia, then it's like nerd alert. <laughs> I owned an Atari 2600. I don't think I owned Adventure or any of the, you know, but I can still, you know, I had a bunch of them as a kid and I can only still name five titles max maybe. That's what true. do you love? Like what's your nerdy out where you're like, "That was so cool in Ready Player 1. There's got to be something." Oh, come on. Iron Giant Obby. Oh, right. Because of your long-standing, like, multi-decade fascination to, with the Iron Giant <laughs> that you saw for the first okay. time like a month ago? I'm still perplexed as to why when the Iron Giant is descending upon Planet Doom that he doesn't go all, like, War warheady. He stays like the friendly Iron Giant the entire time there. Well, no, he does an I-beam thing at one point. Um, pretty cool to see that come back to life. Though. Much better rendered in Ready Player One than he ever was in, in the animated Iron Giant. But I got to say, I knew this is going to be terrible and the sneak's going to come at us, bro. But the Iron Giant was always about Ready Player One for me. And so when I actually watched the Iron Giant, I was like, this is kind of a crappy version, which obviously is backwards. But I kind of didn't feel anything different after watching it anew. I was like, oh, there's the Iron Giant, all right, without doing his buzzsaw gun thing or without doing any of the cool weapons that would have made it a match for Mechagodzilla. I was about to say, did you feel similarly about Mechagodzilla after Godzilla versus Kong? No. Also, much better done in Ready Player One for whatever that's worth. It's almost <laughs> as if what they were trying to achieve was to bring all those memories of childhood flushing back when instead it kind of does this uncanny valley thing where it pushes a little bit too much against it, except for the fact that the Overlook looks so much like the actual Overlook. 
um, it's it's still different, and I and I'm resistant to the changes that Halliday made to the Overlook Hotel in Ready Player One. I'm resistant to all the bullet holes in the DeLorean and the fact that it never once was an actual car. That the DeLorean in Ready Player One was never not CG. But that was really cool to see come back to life, too. Oh, yeah. And to your point, you see a lot more DeLorean driving around than you ever do in Back to the Future. Yep, and being chased by T-Rexes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't you think that Ready Player One is kind of newly apropos since the announcement of Facebook's meta? I guess so, but isn't it just a rebranding? No, because Facebook is going to come under the meta umbrella, similar, similar to how Google um, reorganized under Alphabet. Okay, but I'm not smart enough to understand the implications of that change. Zuckerberg wants to become Halliday, basically. This is not the first future that we've seen from Steven Spielberg. We saw it in Back to the Future 2. We saw it in Minority Report. So are we going to move toward a more Oasis-like, Matrix-like lifestyle? I kind of doubt it. Like, there's got to be a switch, right? Because in Ernest Cline's world of Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, people spend far more time in the Oasis than they do in their real lives. It's like Inception, where at some point you become so involved in the dream that your real life is the dream and you don't you want to wake up less and less, which requires a lot of drugs. And in Ready Player One and Ready Player Two is not exactly the healthiest way to live. Bad skin, all kinds of stuff. So this is all entertainment based still. And Zuckerberg can do what he wants because he's certainly not making a tremendous amount of headway in terms of public favor or moving Facebook forward. It's like the refuge of old people who want to be connected to social media, you know? Are you on Facebook? Does that yeah, mean that you're but, on Facebook? I mean, Instagram still feels all newfangled to me. I don't know how to use it. I know how to post specifically. Follow us on Instagram or whatever movies, but I don't know how to use it. I'm just saying that it doesn't seem like we are going in any other direction other than toward the metaverse. And maybe there's some interesting lessons to be learned. History to not repeat that, have already, that, that has already happened in the metaverse, in the fictional metaverse. I mean, isn't it a little bit reassuring that our baddie, Ben Mendelsohn, has kind of a heart at the end of Ready Player One? Like, yeah. why does he not shoot Parzival? Because he's somehow moved that Wade is holding the egg? like yeah, Which is somehow he, shining in the, in the real world. Right. It's not like there's LEDs in the haptic gloves. He has some reverence for it because as much as he wants to make money off the Oasis and as much as he's enraged and feels like he's been one-upped by the high five and stuff, when it comes down to it, he couldn't kill him outright. Number one, because he would never would have gotten away with it in the crowd of, you know, that many people. He wouldn't have gotten away. He was probably going to prison anyway. He was arrested and stuff. But once his plot fails, you know, I don't know that he was all about the hatred or stuff. It was always business for him, right? It seemed like it was a very loose attempt, a very slight attempt. A very Spielbergian attempt. At some kind of moral redemption for yes. the otherwise characterish villain guy. I mean, Steven Spielberg makes hardcore movies. There's the Schindler's Listes and the Saving, Saving Private, Private Ryan's, Ryan's and stuff. Yeah. But when it's like, this is fun and family, then he'll invariably steer into fairy tale territory. And Sorrento never could have killed him. At worst, he would have had what happened to him when Finale punches him in the face. He would have gotten, like, bonked on the head or something and carted off to prison. 
where he would plot his revenge. He was never going to be the full-on murderer. I mean, he can murder, and that's the beauty of Sorrento versus Boss Man 69 or whatever, is that that dude, that dude can kill the entire Oasis, and it has no repercussions in the real world other than Irock saying, you know, hey, I don't, I don't want to die. I've got 10 years of shit in this character. <laughs> like there's otherwise no consequence? So in the real world, he would never. Actually, that's not true. He murdered the hell out of, uh, out of Wade's aunt and, uh, and, and my friend and yours, Ralph Ineson. So in real life, he's definitely a murderer, but he's not a main character murderer. He's like an ancillary character murderer. And that makes it somehow more okay and family friendly. Makes it more Spielbergian. Makes it more PG-13 for sure. What did you think of Mark Rylance's Garth-like Halliday performance? You know, I thought it was dumb and very Garth. I'm like, it's just Garth. But then I watched really closely, and then he changes into Anorak the Wise, and he's like, Parzival, and he's all like benevolent and kind and and worldly sounding and dulcet toned and stuff. I'm like, he actually has a little bit of range. It's just we don't really see him play roles with a lot of dramatic range. The, the difference is Gandalf from gray to white. He's like, Bilbo. And when he comes back, he's like, I am Gandalf the White, and I come back to you now at the turn of the tide. And he's like all vigor, like full of youth and vigor. I did it. Success. I made you sound like a huge nerd. Okay, now it's time to talk about your re- your rating for Ready Player right. One. Um, read the book, watched the movie. There was a lot of hate for this movie. I didn't hate it because it touched a couple of warm and fuzzy spots with the DeLorean and with The Shining, and that was kind of enough. There were some other things I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I had a, a good time in the draggier parts, picking out the fun. It was, dude, were those battle toads? That's weird. That's totally crazy. And having enough fun with it so that I just kind of went with it. I don't I don't think Steven Spielberg understands young people. I think he's well beyond that. He makes really good movies for adults, but he mishandles kids in the same way that Clint Eastwood does. So there were a lot of problems, a lot of draggy elements, but not in a way that I hated it. There are people who love this book and hate this movie. Hi, the sneak. Um, I wasn't one of them, and um, I watched it a number of times because it is a decent background movie, and it is a pause-worthy movie to see all the cool stuff. Not one of Spielberg's finest, even by the most generous of standards. Not a totally movie. If you read the book, you're going to be perfectly well off, and I'm sure you you have it close to your heart, and you don't need to see the movie. But I don't think the movie should piss you off. It's an all-right movie. But I can't really defend that from much more than a movie fan perspective and a fan of pop culture. I'm like, look at all the cool stuff, but does it come together in a satisfying burrito that won't leak all over your lap? Not really, but still burritos are different and your lap dries and you'll be fine. <laughs> Metaplay one is kind of like a burrito where they just throw everything in the kitchen sink in it and then like wrap it up. Right. And then, Wait, did you call and it Meta player one? Ready player one. Oh, I don't know. Roll the tape. And then <laughs> and then you wrap it up in some bacon and then maybe you cover it in chocolate. And then you're like, mmm, <laughs> there are lots of parts about this that I like, but all right. together, kind of a funky soup. It's hard to judge. It's hard to dismiss a movie, you know, by such a master on a level of such spectacle. I think that there's some merit here. I think that ultimately it's, an, it's a fairly enjoyable ride. And I'll be very curious to see how Ready Player One ages matures yeah i don't know um 
I think there's a difference. I think some movies mature and some just age. I'm afraid this will be an ager. Yeah, but I think a very important moment in time, uh, cinematically and technologically. And so for that reason, I'll give Ready Player One a good, and there you have it. That's our review on Ready Player, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One from 2018, available now on HBO Max. We hope you enjoyed this review. Let us know what you think about Ready Player One, 818-835-0473, or whatever movies at gmail.com, or just hit us up in the metaverse, yo. You sound so old when you say it with the yo. It's like Steven Spielberg literally directing this movie in VR. I think maybe he was just out of his depth. Get it? Depth? No, I don't get Nobody it. Nobody gets that. Let's say de- I was ref- let's say I was referring to depth in terms of the oh no, there's not even depth in an oasis. I'm done. There's not there's no thing there's no there there for an oasis. Or is there there there? There is a there there with an oasis. There isn't a there there with a mirage. <laughs> Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's it. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.